the kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nightmare on Elm Street. Starts Friday at a flagship theater near you. Welcome back to another episode of Reconsinimation. I am John Diner. And I'm David Munchak. And I'm Brett Hutchins. And we are back. It is Horror Fest. It is October. And we are continuing through the, the Terror Fest through Recon Cinema Studios. That's right. The whole studio is, is decorated and the leaves are blowing. It is, it's spooky. It's, it's a spooky, spook central here. It's terrifying. Just like it is every year at this time. Well, and we're we're going to uh, we're covering a classic this week, right, guys? We uh, we covered, you know, we looked back at our Fred Decker and Shane Black movies the last couple of episodes and had some fun with those. But it's gonna get it's gonna get scary today. You ready? Yeah, let's change it up. I'm ready to set sail on the next movie in the spooktacular. Well, <laughs> drop your anchor and get ready. It's another Johnny Depp classic. Pirates, Pirates of the Caribbean. Of the Caribbean. <laughs> oh, that's what Stranger. I prepared. I'm prepared for this. <laughs> well, good. It's perfect. I, you know, I said we were going to do a Johnny Depp movie, so you just you made the assumption that we were going to do uh, on Stranger Tides, right? Is that what you were thinking? That's exactly right. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have to. Uh, we'll have to dial back just a little bit, a little bit earlier than that one. Uh, Brent set the Wayback Machine to 1984. Right, and let's let's uh, chop Johnny Depp's hair down to you know it's poofy original style. Uh, let's you know what let's do Nightmare on Elm Street, guys. Oh, let's do it. All right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's do that. <clears throat> so, David, you'll have to apply your notes for uh, for Pirates uh, f- number six to. Uh, to nightmare one so if you yeah, can just make I, that quick adjustment yeah i can make the, that transition that's that's no problem it's adaptable yeah they're practically yeah, totally. they're practically the same movie it's the same movie <laughs> same film so we're gonna go from you know some cult classics with night of the creeps and uh monster squad and now we're looking at an, an all-time classic wouldn't you say yes i would this movie's a f- awesome I'm just put, yeah, putting it I out mean, there right now. Wow. I would yeah. say I would say would would this movie I guess especially with with 80s horror movies would this be on the uh Mount Rushmore? 100%. Yeah, I would agree. 100%. I would totally agree. I mean, this movie Yeah. You know, there was the the you know, the slasher movies with Halloween and stuff kind of kind of reintroduced the genre to to audiences but it was starting to peter out man and and nightmare on elm street came out and it like reinvigorated the whole industry it was it's freddy krueger is an icon for sure in the horror genre 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, what are the so the the Mount Rushmore of horror characters in the '80s? Would you say probably what like Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers, right? Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Who would who would number four be? Pinhead. Pinhead. Okay. What about Leatherface? The Munchies. Leatherface. Critters. Critters. Absolutely. I don't know. Maybe Chucky. No, I'd go. I'd definitely go yeah. with Leatherface, though. I, I mean, I'm from Texas, so I got to give props to the chainsaw. That's not from the yeah, 70s. That's, that's, that's your backyard. Yeah, exactly. That was my that's playground. 70s, though, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess Leatherface kind of bridges. You know, I, I think when you think Leatherface, probably you think the first one, which is definitely 70s. But, you know, the franchise did, Texas Chainsaw did go in the 80s. But I don't know. Ch- Chucky was pretty big. Pinhead was pretty big. I, I would I would, I would, would say those are uh, probably top three. Candyman was what, early 90s? Yeah. I mean, I guess the criteria, what's yeah. the criteria? Like... You have just eighties. You, you have to have you Stripe? have to have at least five installments in the franchise. Yeah, I would say four or five. Yeah, yeah, oh, four or five. <laughs> so I think all, I think all everything we mentioned has has achieved that. Yeah, it's a big. It's oh a, yeah, 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 guys. It's a big mountain. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in this movie, you know, Brent, like you were saying. <laughs> Horror had, uh, you know, we've covered a lot of the early 80s horror movies. If you want to dig in our archives at www.reconcinemation.com, we've looked at Halloween, Halloween 2, uh, the first three, Friday the 13th. So, so we've we've kind of, you know, done an examination of what was happening in the horror world at that time. And, you know, by this point, there's a lot of, you know, the, the craze of Halloween and Friday the 13th had had hit its peak, and, and you're right, it was definitely on its way down, and, you know, there was so much rinsing and repeating going on with the slasher genre that it really needed a shot in the arm if it was going to continue, and this movie, Nightmare on Elm Street, definitely proved to be that shot, for sure. Yeah, it was a whole new, I mean, it it redefined what what people were thinking was terrifying. I mean, this, I mean, come on, your nightmares? You can't escape your nightmares. This is great. Yeah, it's... It's it's a genius idea. It's fresh, original. It, it was a new looking character, and and uh, it's no surprise that this movie was such, you know, became the iconic movie that it it was. But um, do you guys? I, I'm going to fire up my usual question. Oh boy, Brent, we'll start with you. Okay. What's your uh, What's your early memories of either the first movie or the franchise in general? Or when did Freddy come on your uh, radar? You know, I don't. I mean, again, I saw, I probably, I mean, I saw this when I was young. Um, so it was pretty early on. I don't recall exactly the first time I saw it. It just always kind of seemed, I just always kind of seemed to remember it sort of being there. Um, mm-hmm. But I think one of the first times was pretty early on. We were at, we were like at, on a family vacation with some friends of the family and we had like two two rooms and like my parents were with the the there were like two other kids that were just about me and my brother's age and we were all playing downstairs and my parents were upstairs and like playing i don't know like spades or euchre or something like that and um 
Uh, I remember Space. it was on the the hotel had cable and we were watching it. And my brother, who is the youngest of the four of us boys that were there, <clears throat> was scared. So he ran upstairs uh, to be with my parents. And then when he came down, like me and the two other kids uh, pretend pretended to be like zombies and like scared the crap out of my little brother, who I think was probably uh, he four at the time, maybe five. So, you know, (laughs) so I'm sure he's gone to many years of counseling for that. And, uh, you know, I love him very much. And we got we got past it. I ended up being a better older brother than than that, I think, uh, in the long run. But, yeah, I was a jerk back then for sure. (laughs) <laughs> oh that's funny uh, what about uh david what about you when did when did nightmare on elm street hit your uh radar it, it's hard to tell it's uh something that i think was always there uh for me it just existed uh my friends my neighborhood friends uh were uh we were good pals but they and uh they and their older brothers really enjoyed this series of films um, and Freddy always existed, uh, kind of like, I don't remember, a, a moment when I discovered him or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. for me culturally though, it's funny that like, you know, it was 88 when, uh, uh, Fresh Prince and, and Jazzy Jeff had that nightmare on my street track on their, mm. on their, their second album, uh, that, uh, for me, I, I, like I was the the one kid who liked Fresh Prince. Like, you know, my, my older brothers were one really kid into that. Well, I mean, I, I mean, Fresh Prince was obviously a very accessible, like white or white kid, like rapper, you know, like for, mm-hmm. for the, like to be a fan. But like my older brothers, my other friends didn't really like Fresh Prince. I was really into him, like, I guess. And I think hearing parents just don't understand on the radio made me want to buy that album and then the first track on that album on tape is a a track called nightmare on my street that Mm -hmm. they never got a clearance with (laughs) new line so they they do a a a sound alike as freddie on the track and then they did a video um and the video itself is a an amalgamation of like monsters but not not actually freddie uh so because Mm -hmm. they never got that clearance but um, like, so I knew the movies. I knew the character Freddy. I knew Fresh Prince was singing about Freddy, you know, getting his dreams. They use music kind of cues from the film, the original film, like in, wow. in the song. I remember um, that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really like on point with like, it's too. It's very evocative of the film. Dude, that so song. That me, song like, was I awesome. Knew... <laughs> that song was great. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And I had. I had the song, I had the, the album on tape and I don't know because of maybe the clearances and the changes and the fact that they never got on board, the lyrics for the song change between the tape and the CD and subsequent like digital releases. Really? So if you watch the video, if you watch the video on YouTube with this like fake Freddy monster, uh, those were the original lyrics, I believe on the tape. But then if you download the track or, you know, get the CD version of it, the lyrics change in very in very weird, subtle ways that I don't even understand why they made those changes. They're probably better lyrics, better, you know, raps in a sense. But mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, it's it's funny because I I hear the song one way and then anytime I've listened to it in a modern era, 
uh, it doesn't, there's certain moments where it doesn't match up. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, and then, so I had an awareness of it. I saw part five, I think, is that dream child? That's um, dream child. Yeah. Yeah. I saw dream child like after it was released on home video. That was the first time I saw a nightmare on Elm street movie. And mm. then, um, I saw the first nightmare on Elm street, I think with you, John of like three years ago, four years ago. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's, screening uh, room seven. Screening room seven. Yeah. That's where we watched it. You you looked. At, I, I was I was at lunch and uh, I was eating a hoagie, big 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 ham and cheese hoagie. You walked in and you just looked and you just said it's time, and I knew what you meant. And then we walked to the screening room and we watched Nightmare on Elm Street. So we have sixteen screening rooms at Recon Cinema Studios, and depending on the movie, I'll know which theater it should be played in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you yeah, then? God, that's when, funny. What, where, where was, where was Nightmare on Elm Street in your uh, intense uh, movie-consuming uh, childhood? I have a number of memories about Nightmare on Elm Street. The first time it came on my radar, I mean, and we'll get into it, but it, it was such a huge part of the youth culture and MTV culture um, in the late 80s and I guess very, very early 90s, like 1991, but mostly the late 80s. Freddie was everywhere. So it was, especially if you had MTV, it was hard. It was hard to miss him. Um, He was just marketed so much. But I remember my parents rented part two, Freddie's Revenge, which is definitely a movie. We're going to cover a lot of these Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Maybe right. we should do it like we're doing the, you know, the, the Halloweens. We'll do one every October, but let's just see. Um, so my parents rented part two at the same time that part three was coming out in theaters. So I remember I had like a cracked, you remember cracked magazine, like mad magazine, cracked magazine. Yeah. Cracked. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, there was a cracked magazine that had, that was all about dream warriors and it was, uh, you know, a lot of imagery from that. So I was like, I had seen part of, you know, part two while my parents were watching it. And then whatever was going on for part three in Cracked Magazine, that was like, who is this? And then, then Freddie was just everywhere. But I didn't actually see the first one till a couple of years after that, like maybe 91 during a sleepover with my friends. And it was like, oh my God, this movie is much different than the other ones. Uh, and I, yeah, and I, I fell in love with, uh, with the first movie. And then when we were in college at the College of Santa Fe, RIP, Brent, I remember one night at uh, a certain person's apartment, let's just say yours, hmm. uh, a bunch of us came over and um, we did a little baking, made some brownies. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't, re- I, you know, I don't recall the ingredients of those, but uh, we enjoyed those Flour, and sugar. we watched the Nightmare on Elm Street a- and uh, I had a lot of thoughts afterwards. <laughs> yeah, man. Space cakes and Santa Fe for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. I mean, I, so let me, let me, let me see. I don't remember watching Nightmare on Elm Street that night. But that's because I don't remember the second half of that night. 
<laughs> See, this yeah, is... I think a few of us uh, don't really, but I remember I was very like very absorbed in the movie. I was like hyper focused, and then when the movie was over, it was like everything was some kind of weird motion blur after that, and um, and that was that. So, but I, I've I've enjoyed this movie every time I've watched it. It's uh, it's. It's a lot of fun. It's it's definitely one worth watching. If you guys listening haven't seen it, you should uh, you should definitely check it out. But we're gonna we're gonna break it down uh, now. Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, buckle up. So <clears throat> yeah, buckle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hold yeah. on to your um, riches. <laughs> so Wes Craven. Wes Craven had been around for, you know, he'd been around since the early mid-70s. Where do you guys stand on his early stuff? And I know we talked about a lot about him in our, our Friday the 13th Part 1 episode uh, about his early films with The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left. Brent, what do you, um, you've, seen, you've seen those, right? I've seen them all, yeah. Uh, I. What do you think about them? Well... I like The Hills Have Eyes. I like the first one. I think it's the first one. Um, the second one I don't recall too too vividly, but but I'm sure, uh, you know, I mean, I, I like kind of the horror movie genre as a whole, so all of them uh, I remember kind of enjoying. Last House on the Left, I didn't see until I got uh, older. Didn't really care for it. Don't really like that kind of style of horror film, mm-hmm. so... Uh, that one's not really for me, but, uh, I did like the, I think it's the original Hills Have Eyes where, uh, you know, the, the family's driving through the desert, car breaks down and they have to kind of like make it through the night. Right. Is that, is that, yeah. yeah right. So, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. been, yep. it's been decades probably since I've seen it. So, uh, but yeah, I think, I think, uh, the first two were good. He also did Swamp Thing. Right. And I, I liked that. A, yeah. I liked that a lot. Yeah. I thought that one was pretty cool. Um, but, but yeah, definitely not a last house guy. Yeah, that one, uh, I, I, I'm mostly in agreement with you that the, they're both really, I don't know. They're really, um, gruesome and yeah. last house on the left is just too, a little too disturbing and, you know, just too disturbing for me. Hills have eyes is too, but. <clears throat> I can kind of tolerate that one like I can tolerate Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's um, not, I don't know, like, just the, whether it's done differently or just the way that the gore and the, the the um, I don't know, the themes of, of the movies, like, I don't know, like, like, Last House on the Left is, you know, spit on your grave kind of films and things like that just aren't really my, yeah. my deal. Yeah, that's... Um, too much too gruesome can, and and can you yeah, I, can you for a, a horror neophyte who doesn't like this shit can you explain the difference between last house on the left and say a nightmare on elm street like what, what are you talking about uh like what's the difference what's why is it why is it a horror film and what's what's different about it well i think last house on the left for me is you know like almost too realistic right like it's it's like something that could happen to a family member of yours for real like you know i mean it's kind of this rapey torture porn kind of film that is just like super over the top and grotesque and 
kind of horrific, like in, in a lot of ways that are scary because, you know, it could happen. But so like that's gotcha. that's difficult, you know, like because there's a lot of crap that happens in this world already. And, you know, like I don't really yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to like sit there and watch and celebrate something that's gonna like is is happening has happened could happen again. Yeah. Right. Uh, whereas like right. Nightmare it's... Nightmare on Elm Street is fantasy. You know, like it's just based on. I mean, it's it's terrifying and it's gory and it's also got those kind of gruesome moments in it. But just like the foundation of it comes from kind of this fantastic world, uh, you know, like that is like really really well done like the like the character work that Robert England has done in this movie like i mean he is Freddy Krueger he created this character that is like to John's point earlier talking about it is like he's he's you know like he's like infiltrated the 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 threads of of the popular uh film world you know like i Pop mean culture. yeah exactly yeah. and so uh, thanks. That's a much more succinct way to put that. But you know, like I mean, it's just one of those things. Whereas, like Last Health, Last House on the Left was just too much. Like it just, it wasn't fun. It was, it was like you were watching something that you felt like you, you shouldn't be watching. At least that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, they're they're really both of those movies, Last House and Hills Have Eyes, are really grounded in reality, and you hear about those stories, you know. Well, I mean, I guess Hills Have Eyes is sort of like a a mobile home invasion. <laughs> um, yeah, but the difference. Last House on the Left is. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but the, the with Last House on the Left, like I still feel like there's kind of a supernatural element to it. Like there's this this like kind of you know family that's out living in the desert, and they like hunt hunt people that drive through their town. I don't know. Something about it just seems like, again, yeah, like you, you mean Hills have eyes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Did I, did I say last house? Um, yeah. So yeah. Hills have eyes, you know, like, so there's still an element to it that seems yes. a little far fetched. Whereas like last house really just seems like some, like, honestly, some sick people could do it. And I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. Yeah. I mean, you know, we hear all the time, unfortunately, about people being raped and murdered, and you get a bird's eye view of it, a extremely graphic view of it in the hill in Last House on the Left, and and then there's you know a, a plot that follows it, but that was enough to like push me away. And and Wes's movies were, he started out very you know kind of on the extreme end of things and. Um, you know, I think part of that had to do with Texas Chainsaw and the, the, the rise, you know, we've talked about before about the the horror movement in the 70s. And it was kind of trying to figure out horror was trying to figure out what it was. And it really didn't until Halloween really shaped it, essentially, and then made the formula. And then everything was sort of, you know, following even admittedly Friday the 13th is, is following in the footsteps of that and. Um, you know, it's not until Nightmare on Elm Street that it gets uh, reinvigorated with a new, like, creative take on it. Yeah. But yeah, Wes's movies, and I, 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 I do, I do like Swamp Thing. I haven't seen it in forever, but I think that would be that would be a fun one to look back at because you don't hear a lot of talk about the original Swamp yeah, Thing anymore. Yeah. 
it's been a while. Yeah, I mean, but and the movie a, didn't. Yeah, is, go ahead. Is Swamp Thing quite a horror movie, or is it kind of supernatural movie? Like, is it? It's not really a horror movie, is it? It's categorized as one, but yeah. it, it's not really a horror movie yeah. per se. But that's 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 where you put it in the video store. Yeah, got it. Yeah, I'd say it's more back in the fan- fantasy. You know, it's again, it's more fantasy than than anything. Well, because and that was based on a comic book, wasn't it? Wasn't it a comic book first, or did the comic book come after? Oh yeah, Swamp Thing's been around in DC universe for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So his, you know, his movies are, you know, Swamp Thing doesn't do what it he wanted, and he was, he was, uh, West was very excited to like break into the business, and he was a a PA and an editor, you know, starting in the late '60s, and you know was excited to be making his own movies. But after Last House and Hills Have Eyes, it was that that next hit, that that hit that was going to put him on the next level didn't happen and he wasn't involved directly with with friday the 13th so you know he was he had partnered with sean cunningham for a while and then cunningham you know made the friday the first friday film and uh took off on his own and and west kind of wasn't a part of that and was kind of a, a little bit in limbo and was even doing you know sequels to i can't remember if last house had a sequel, but I know he did Hills Have Eyes 2 right. also in 1984, same year as Nightmare. You know, while he's making these movies, he's trying to come up with, you know, he's pitching ideas and nothing's taking and he's coming up with, uh, he's reading He's reading the LA Times one day and, start, and reads this article about these Cambodian refugees who, you know, were, were living in fear, essentially, of being deported and sent back home and and what their life was like back in, in Cambodia and how horrible and traumatized it was for them or traumatizing it was for them. So they stayed, <clears throat> they tried not to sleep and they would try to stay awake. They would take pills. They would like hide coffee makers in their closet and try to stay up all night. And eventually, you know, several of them died of basically heart attacks from not letting themselves sleep. And that kind of got this idea formulating in his mind and and then he like like good all good writers do he dug in his own personal archives and memories and and did you guys hear the story about like where freddy the idea of freddy came from no Mm, no growing up as a kid in cleveland he would there was one night where he heard this he lived in the second story of this apartment building and he heard would hear he would hear this noise every so often and one night he looked out and saw this older you know he's assuming uh, uh, some kind of vagrant who was shuffling down this alley wearing this red sweater this this you know red the, the same striped sweater that Freddie wears and a fedora and right when little Wes Craven looks out the window this vagrant turns and looks right up at him right into his eyes and of course Wes like panics and backs away from the window and hides and this is like really late at night hides in the corner of the room and waits a few minutes and eventually comes back and like peeks over the the top of his window and the vagrant is still standing there staring directly at him just waiting for him to pop his head up again 
and he laughs at him. He laughs at Wes, and it's that that joy of bringing fear to this child is where the, the real genesis of Freddy Krueger. And then it's it gets even freakier that you know they're kind of just now they're like just locking eyes with each other, and the vagrant starts walking towards the entrance of their their apartment building, and Wes can hear the front door like open and close and hears feet shuffling in the lobby. And then he runs and like wakes his family up and turns on all the lights. And by the time they looked, the guy was gone. But like, this was like a huge, yeah, (laughs) huge traumatic experience for him. That'll, that'll, that'll give you some (laughs) thoughts for sure. Yeah. And then second, separately from that, he's got a, a bully in in grade school whose name was Fred Krueger, who picked on him all the time. Uh, so, oh my he, god, yeah. I, I think you know the idea of that that kind of person stuck with him, and it wasn't until he was researching and, and reading these articles about about these people who were afraid to go to sleep that it kind of all clicked, and he just merged these these three stories. <laughs> Holy shit. That's uh, that's intense. If I had to do that with my bully, that, uh, that I would have created a m- film series about a guy named Cliff Malone, which is a <laughs> fucking bullshit bully bully name, right? Like Cliff Malone. <laughs> like you get that, that's a that's a Chicago cop. Yeah, it is. He's an. Ass. I feel like he should be. <laughs> this kid was an a asshole. <laughs> he was an <laughs> asshole. I'm sure he was. He did not have a, a pleasant home life, and he certainly didn't. <laughs> Certainly like to give me a lot of shit, uh, but I guess if <laughs> if I was creating a uh, <laughs> a horror creature after my bully, that that would have been the name. It'd be like, "Here comes Cliffy." <laughs> Piece of shit. <laughs> you gotta you gotta come up. We you gotta come up with some taglines for the sequel. Yeah, <laughs> who's who's laughing now, Cliff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really gotta work on that, but yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! Wow, how about oh, that? So some random vagrant back in the fifties or sixties or whatever. Yeah, like, that's crazy. That's terrifying. For yeah, for him, but also with his bully, and also like every everything had to come together. There's so many different pieces. You know, Freddie wasn't just one thing for him. So uh, yeah, that's that's some that's amazing. Yeah, it was uh, kind of the perfect <laughs> the perfect nightmare storm, I guess, for him. Yeah. And, you know, I'm surprised that in, in all the, the world of lawsuits that we we all live in now, I'm surprised that whoever this Fred Krueger is in real life never uh, never sued him for it. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they maybe something happened between the two of them, but that always surprised me. Maybe. Right. <clears throat> I'm sure right. they put some, so kind of, some kind of disclosure at the end of the movie that, that the characters are not based on real people yeah 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 totally i mean it all kind of depends on what you're doing but uh, whether you can get away with that or not yeah so at the same time so he's writing this and he's pitching it around town you know he's starting to really get the at least the treatment the idea together if not the full script um, that he's pitching around at all the studios and they're all rejecting him and some of them they didn't the studios did not seem to understand what this was and they were still just trying to, most of them were just trying to bleed the Halloween and Friday the 13th well as dry as they could. And, and 
this was such a, a striking difference, uh, you know, compared to with those that I don't think they understood what it was, what it could be, um, how you would do it. So they were all passing on it until he gets to uh, Bob Shea at New Line Cinema, who were basically at this point doing educational college films and were just really desperate to get into the into the film business and were starting to you know one by one distributing films and re-releasing older movies like Reefer Madness and trying to get a foot in the door and they were desperate for material so they were willing to i think they came to an agreement on a budget of like 6 or 700,000 uh which of course is not what Wes wanted but that was sure. the money they could raise for it and most of that was based off of uh, deals with these these Texas investors and these uh, the uh, media home entertainment who would do the home video distribution. So again, this is like in the early days of home video. So getting that deal early on was was actually pretty good. But they were the ones uh, financing the movie. Yeah. While all this is going on, what else? Uh, do you guys remember other horror movies that came out in 83, 84? Anything stand out? Or what's what's the film landscape look like at that point? Do you remember? Oh, boy. Uh, that's a, that's well, you had like American Werewolf, right? You had Halloween 3 had already come out by now, uh, right? How, uh, I don't know. Halloween what else was 3, out there? Well, I don't think... Uh, I can't remember right. if Halloween 3 was out, but... We should look into that. (laughs) I feel like Halloween 3 was like 82, 83, like before this. Yeah, I think Halloween 3, yeah, Halloween 3 was, uh, had come out already, but there's lots of, you know, especially in the horror world, there's, you know, Amityville 3, you've got Christine, Cujo, Jaws 3, that's Jaws 3D, David, you know that one very well. Yeah, Creepshow came out, right? Like, right? Uh, Uh, No, I think Creepshow was just after that. I think. Uh, the Keep, Psycho 2, Sleepaway Camp. Jaws 3D. Uh, Did you and then 84, that you've got, yeah, Jaws 3, Chud, Children of the Corn, uh, Friday the 13th, Part 4. Video, um, video Drum. And Hills Have Eyes 2. Right? Yeah, Video Drum, like Silent Night, Deadly Night. There's Night of the Comet. So you're kind of like all over the place and. Getting to the bottom of the well and some of these franchises are starting to get to like, okay, you know, Amityville, that story has been told. Jaws is out of gas. Um, You know, Friday the 13th was attempting to end the franchise at that point. And uh, Halloween was in this complete like limbo with the, you know, lack of success of Halloween 3. So, you know, this is coming at a... uh, a really pivotal point uh, in in the horror horror history. Creep show, nineteen eighty two. Shut up. Uh, and then, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> and then like Poltergeist came out, right? Gremlins was coming out this yeah. same yeah. year. Yeah. Right. Gremlins, uh, Ghostbusters, <laughs> uh, Evil Dead. Did you put Ghostbusters as a horror movie? No, it's not a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that first Ghost in the Library no. is kind of scary, but other than that. Hell yeah, especially when you're five. Yeah. Tried to watch it's that with my kids comedy, the other day. And they turned it and off immediately. It's not really... <laughs> it's a horror comedy that's not really that funny. <clears throat> so that's Ghostbusters. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
that's blasphemy. But um, it's funny. But is it funny? <laughs> oh my know. god! Yeah, yeah. yeah that's an one, argument for another day. Like but. one person's funny in it. <laughs> you know. I'm, hey, that's all you need. It's Bill Murray. Another another yeah. movie that came out in '84 that we I don't think we mentioned was The Toxic Avenger, which I am a fan of. Yeah. Oh yeah, to- Toxic. Yeah. That was um, that was another one that I saw corn, way right? too younger. Wait, when I was way too yeah too young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you know, we're kind of all over Stephen King. You know, they're starting to really fire out the Stephen King movies. Um but this is, you know, this was such a fresh spin on it with this you know, this this mesh of dreams versus reality and what and how something horrific can cross cross that that boundary and if that were if that were, could really happen how horrifying for lack of a better term that would be um uh, i don't know this is uh it was it's a genius idea oh yeah it was so fresh at the time for sure like it was it was a great way to like really vamp up the the genre man like it and there's so much like there's so much you know fresh ideas in the movie itself and as far as you know, you're, you're casting. Everything's kind of working. To me, everything works in this movie. Like the cast works. They had really creative special effects, especially for the budget that they had. I mean, there's a few things that, you know, like when, when the big one that stands out to me is when Freddy is, you know, stalking her down the alley and his arms just kind of outstretch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like that gag. That's the one gag that kind of doesn't work, but... Especially, I mean, you've got the spinning room. You've got the, you know, which you, you, they they used a, a few times, um, and and some early, uh, you know, visual effects with Freddy popping out of nowhere and like from behind the tree and jumping out, like really, really good stuff. And the makeup effects, like there's so many, so many things that work. Yeah, and you know that the whole extendo arm thing, you know, like it. You're right. It it's kind of. <clears throat> When you rewatch it, it it doesn't hold up like like as an effect. Yeah, and what's I, what I like about that so early on, like yeah, you can practically see the strings pulling the, you know, the Muppet <laughs> arms. <laughs> but what I really loved was that like when it broke away to a wider shot and he's chasing her through the alley, and I really like that. I, there's something terrifying about just like a guy in the darkness chasing a woman like it's fucking scary and then of course yeah you know and then obviously like it's actually like a stunt double because then she actually turns and then and hits hits freddy like he's there waiting for her like it that was a pretty scary moment i really like that like the arms thing are like one thing where it's this like sort of cartoonish kind of thing and then she runs in terror anyway and then she stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's uh, that was one moment. That that was one of the few. There's like three moments in the movie. I'm like impressed with it, and also kind of scared by it in a sense. Like, um, and it, but a lot of this stuff really works today. Technically, is very well put together. Like a lot of the mm-hmm. gags are really, really well done uh, in that right. practical way. That I mean. I don't. I don't know if we, if if they, if audiences had seen things like this before, or at least things that look this this good. But this had to be mind blowing for some horror fans. I think in terms of how well it was done, how well it was shot, 
lit and and designed. I mean, it was just it's really impressive stuff for just in general. Then to to say nothing of well, this was 1984. I mean, there's there's a lot of great effects in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and part of it too is is the script too. I mean, the idea is so well thought out, and there's really there's no holes in it. <clears throat> you know, they've got a great story of this child murderer, which they orig- originally was a child molester, but they kind of di- Wes Craven thankfully dialed it back a little bit from that. Right. So he's a child. You know, he would abduct children. Fred Krueger was. Uh, would abduct and murder these kids. And at some point in the past, which we never really, I don't think we know till maybe later in the sequels about exactly when that was, um, the parents of uh, the, the kids who were killed kind of gathered together and formed like a mob and, and cornered Freddy and burned him alive and killed him. And this is his spirit who has somehow survived uh, coming back and reaching out to their new kids through their dreams, and and it's it's just uh, it's such a great idea, and um, and you don't even really like I never really question of like the technical well how how would this character you know come back how would this actually work it doesn't matter to me I never I don't think I ever once thought about like ah, this isn't believable. <laughs> no, you don't even question it. They just they say this is what's happening and you're like, okay, suspension of disbelief. This is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's just you just accept that going into it. It's just not even like a thing. Yeah. Um you- and there's no, you know, the the plot is is fairly straightforward, uh, you know, and and it's but but it, it's got depth, you know, thematically it has depth for all these characters i mean you know that that i think teenagers could really identify with a lot more than they could with a halloween or a friday the 13th i mean while the the you know the killers are awesome and fantastic characters there it's the teenagers themselves here like you actually want these people to live yeah absolutely like that yeah there's not there's not really a character in there where you're like oh man that guy's a uh, a jackass like he's he's going down like yeah you kind of you can you can kind of relate to each one of them in in one way or another yeah i mean they're not portrayed as like stupid mindless teenagers either that they you know they're dealing with a situation that none of them it's not just like someone's chasing them with a knife uh it's it's believe you know do they believe that their dreams are actually happening and on what level are they happening? <laughs> um, so, you know, you kind of have to get past that. And, and you just, um, I buy what they're selling. You oh, know? yeah. Well, the, I mean, they do a great <laughs> job right at the beginning of establishing that kind of everybody in this group is having a similar type of dream, which, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't happen in real life. So, you know, I mean, at, at least not to this extent where there's a crazy burned up dude chasing you with knives for fingers you know and so like already they set the tone that okay there's something bigger than 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 the you know there's something bigger going on yeah i think it's what yeah it's it's i think the first scene where the four the four main characters are together where they're all mentioning that they're you know kind of quickly mention that they're having that they have all kind of had similar or the same dream well, yeah, or, or dreams about with the same person in it. Right. And some of it's just reaction, you know, like they, like, right. like the, 
Like the Johnny Depp character doesn't even want to acknowledge that he's having it, but you can read it in his in his reactions that he, you know yeah. he recognizes what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and and their reaction I think is what people would how people would react. It's like kind of just surprised and confused and but like what are you going to do about it? Nothing really. And and you know nothing it's not until Tina's murder, which is I think that night or a few nights later that it's really, that, you know, forces the situation. Yeah, it's that night. I mean, it's the same night that they're, you know, they all kind of spend the night at her house. Mhm. Yeah, they yeah, all that, they yeah. all talk about it during the day and you know, they go to school and they all have different levels of expressing like knowing they all basically had a certain a certain dream, but you know, Glenn is Johnny Depp. He he writes it off, doesn't say anything. Uh, Rod is uh, the asshole who's kind of like admits to having bad dreams, but he's not going to talk about it. And then, you know, they, they all have different levels of that. But so it's Nancy who's the one that, that really is, uh, you know, reacting to it, understanding that, like, there's more than just having that one dream. It's so It's so strange. It's so off-putting. And then the fact that anyone could relate to that one dream, you know, she's she she's very sensitive to the entire thing among her friend group. Like, what are the odds that one of them has one of the dreams, let alone all four? So it's, um, you know, so we get to watch, you know, we, we, we travel with Nancy, like, through the whole movie about, like, her figuring this shit out. Like, and uh, it's kind of scary because, like, she is... She has to like. She has to be the, the like the front of the whole thing. Like she's the one confronting him. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, and there's a whole scene where, you know, where she's in that sleep study, and we don't see her actually interacting with Freddy, but it's happening. We actually see it from the outside, which is such a brilliant way to do it. You know, you you would typically you would go into her dream while she's in that sleep study to see what's going on, but they in, instead of like it's all supernatural or all in her head. The, the science and the observation of it makes it so much more real when her mom and the doctor played by Charles Fleischer, uh, Roger Rabbit, mm-hmm. uh, are observing her going through this stuff and she gets cut. She brings his hat out of the dream world, but you never see that dream. It's such a, what a great idea. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's, yeah. I forgot about that, that you don't actually see that dream, right? You just, we're no. just watching what's happening on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's, it's, it's real. Like it, it, it's, you know, you can go through that journey where she's just like always struggling with it, but like you get to see it from like her mom's perspective. And then at the time you don't even know the truth about Fred Krueger from her mom's perspective, but uh, you're almost like the doctor in the scene. Like how did, how, how, what? Like these are, these are really real things, not just, supernatural things like it's supernatural but real you know which is yeah it's it's all the same but you know supernatural things are not things that you you would normally consider or deal with so uh yeah it's a fascinating way to do it yeah and i think i think what teenagers can really i think back when it was released and now can i identify with in these characters is that it's like teenage abandonment. These guys are, these kids are going through this without really any guidance from their parents. I mean, especially, you only see a few of their parents, but, you know, her mother's an alcoholic. 
her dad is, you know, the police chief and is dismissive of the whole thing and doesn't, you know, believe her. And neither are willing to tell her until late in the movie what the true backstory is and that they they might know a little bit of what's going on here, but the dream element of it is not something they would ever have, you know, any any way to 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 deal with. But, um, you know, I think teenagers can can identify with that, you know, separation at, at that age of them and their parents and their parents not understanding the issues you're going through and, you know, social anxiety issues and and, you know, sexual issues. And, and you see the different levels of like, you know, that that it's the old one of the old horror tropes about you know, if you have sex in a horror movie, you're going to die. But it does, that element does exist here, but I think it's handled much more maturely than in a lot of the other slasher movies. Right. You know, you see Tina, Tina and Rod are like, you know, rip roaring, ready to go. And, uh, you know, we see what happens quickly to the two of them. Whereas, you know, Nancy and Glenn are much slower paced and not, you know, she's not ready to just dive into it yet and taking it slow. And she's able to, you know, make it through. Right. Um, The cast of this movie are really, you know, these are, these are all good actors. And obviously, you know, at least one of them has come, become a major huge a-list star who's that um which was nick nick cory nick cory man (laughs) all jokes all all jokes aside we know it's johnny depp (laughs) but i fell down Uh, i fell down the rabbit hole looking into nick cory and i don't know how much you guys have seen about what he's done with his life since this movie uh especially like the last 30 years but it's we can talk about it, but it's very, very uh, interesting. What well, yeah, no, God, I, 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 I know he changed his name or something. He's using a different name, but I don't know much about him. Yeah, he changed Who's his Nick name. Corey, to... what are you talking about? What are What's you talking that? About? He, he's Who's Rod. Nick Rod, oh. he plays, he plays kind of the the uh, bad boy. Yeah, he plays Rod Lane. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, David, did you watch the movie? Yeah, have yeah, you seen it? Is, 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 <laughs> Well, the, he's, his name is Zucarcia now, I guess, then? Yeah, now I, it, I, yeah, now it is. Yeah, but. I think okay. that's actually short short for Jesus, just so you know. Just, uh, okay. just to give well, a little, just, yeah. just to give a little morsel. JS, JSU Garcia, but he used to be Nick Corey? Okay, got it. Yeah. He's credited in Nightmare on Elm Street as Nick Corey. I understand. He is, got it. yes. yes. And he didn't change his name until later. Uh, mm-hmm. If you get, uh, yeah. So for the like, he uh, ended up after this movie, and you know, like a little bit later in his life, he found this gentleman named John Roger, who goes by Jr., who founded a church of. Uh, it's called um, what is it called? Movement. Uh, of spiritual awareness or MSIA or Messiah. And uh, mm. so so uh, Nick Corey created this documentary called Mystical Traveler uh, that he co-directed with John Roger, who started this uh, basically like some people consider it a cult. But like I looked into it, man, like there's like legit people that are a part of it. And, 
this John Roger guy or Jr. also created like the university or, or founded the University of Santa Monica and all sorts of stuff, man. It's like it's too much to talk about right here, and it's not what this podcast is about. But it's like mind blowing, like looking into some of this stuff. I was just like, if you read just Nick Corey's or bio or or Zoo Garcia's bio on IMDb, like it'll give you kind of a an idea of mm. what what's going on with this guy. But yeah, he was basically this dude's personal assistant for 26 years. Like he just kind of like wow did this guy's bidding for 26 years, and it's like pretty pretty intense but like at the same time still acted and was doing things like he yeah. shows up he shows up in other things like like much later on down down the road so uh he was doing both well of he shows you see him you see him too in uh in a new nightmare in the seventh movie for a minute and right. uh i think he was in vampire in brooklyn for uh for a minute that's as right well. yep he was in that that's he's right. yep. yeah i mean he's been in he's been in a couple different uh things i mean not really anything that i mean collateral damage is something that he was in like kind of more recently but that was a while ago obviously yeah. like that's 18 years ago at this point but along came, not in my mind yeah i know it was yesterday uh along <laughs> along came polly so i mean he's been acting but like up until like when this dude uh jr passed away like he was he was his like right hand man dude doing all wow. this doing all this uh messiah stuff and it's uh it, yeah it's just it kind of i was not expecting to run into that when i was kind of yeah. researching information for this podcast when, when we were getting all this stuff together so i was just like holy cow man this is blowing my mind well and, and he's he really works you know like they all do in this and you have to be really careful when you're casting when you're casting any movie because you get the wrong mix of you know of actors and and there's that energy isn't there and that's really gonna you know take the life out of your movie but um these guys you know they they cast a lot of these kids in pairs so when they would read they would read them in in uh you know in groups and heather langenkamp who was kind of like <laughs> She was like the number two to Catherine Mary Stewart. So she kept losing out on roles. She lost out on uh, Last Starfighter to Catherine Mary Stewart and Night mm -hmm. of the Comet as well. And I think was at a point where she was getting frustrated that it wasn't really her career wasn't really taking off, wasn't going anywhere. But uh, Wes knew like right when he saw her, she had that kind of sweet and innocent and and young look that uh, that he was going for. And she actually read with Amanda Wiss, who, you know, went on to be in a bunch of other, especially 80s movies. She was in Better Off Dead and as great in that. But um, uh, they read together and he knew, like, this is, okay, this is Nancy and Tina right here. So uh, funny that they got cast together as well. Yeah. Um, Johnny Depp, supposedly there's a huge list of, uh, people that, that read for the Glenn character. Charlie Sheen was supposedly up for it. Nicolas Cage was up for it. Um, and it, I, I read a story. I don't know if it's true that Nicolas Cage was the one who brought Johnny Depp to the audition. And, uh, Johnny wasn't even really like trying for the role. It just kind of was a tag along. Um, Charlie Sheen supposedly turned it down uh, and just didn't, another person who didn't understand the movie, didn't really 
see where it was going or, or, or get the concept at all. But it would have been interesting if it, if the machine had done it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> machine. How big a deal was Charlie Sheen back in in '84? Well, I think Lucas had come out. Red Dawn had come out. This is yeah. pre uh, pre Platoon, so I don't but think he, he was huge, huge yet. But he had already, you know, um, yeah, he wasn't huge, huge, but he had already started setting himself up and establishing himself. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, he probably. Yeah, he was. Want he was a name. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean. Yeah, he was. He was busy. Yeah, I mean, he. Like Red Dawn was the same year though, like '84. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, like he he was just sort of starting out his career though, right? Grizzly two. Yeah, Revenge I, in '83. Uh, yeah, I think yeah he was just really start like it's one of those stages where he was probably shooting a lot in that two year period, yeah. but I'm not sure exactly what had been released yet. Yeah, Lucas came out in eighty came out in eighty six. I don't know when it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Lucas uh, was later, right? Yeah, I mean, but he was doing TV movies. I mean, he was staying busy. Like, so his career was just sort of taking off. So it might have been a matter of like availability and choosing the right project and you know what he wanted to do. You know, going forward, who knows? But it, it seems like he was kind of busy in eighty three, eighty four, eighty five. That, and then he exploded uh, with Platoon in eighty six. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, and he and, you know he, after. He did Grizzly too, right? So he probably also didn't want to didn't want to get type <laughs> yeah. typecast in horror movies, you know? Cause yeah, Grizzly Two was classic. Never forget the name Grizzly Two. Yeah, <laughs> pops up on um, all the lists. But Johnny Depp ends up with the role, and of course, we know this led to a huge, huge career, and and. One of the biggest stars in, in Hollywood. and uh, But it all starts with Nightmare on Elm Street. And that would eventually pave the way to 21 Jump Street. Which, as you know, guys know, is one of the greatest shows of the 80s. Yes. And uh, then, what was it yeah. after? What did uh, Was it Gilbert Grape? that really, No, it was Edward Scissorhands, right? That really boosted him into the feature world. Yeah, Scissorhands came out in 90. And that's where one. he kind of like dropped yeah. off out of... Uh, Jump Street, so it was mm-hmm. that. Uh, Benny and June came out in 93. Uh, no, I mean... Yeah, Gilbert Grape and Ed Wood and all those kind of, you know, his... He was... Uh, yeah. By the mid-90s, he was already big. Yeah, I mean, he was also in Platoon, you know, so for a minute there, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yes, he's in Platoon, but doesn't have he's a lot of dialogue. He's and, not in it. Yeah, I mean, then Gilbert yeah. Grape was 93, Ed Wood 94, uh, then Nick of Time in 95. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Don't forget so that good. one. <laughs> oh, I watched that last year. So good. <laughs> <laughs> Love Nick of Time. Um, yeah, man. And then there was Freddy. Who was going to play Freddy? Roger, you always have Bumbland. to be extra. You know, like I said with the with the other, you know, cast members. This one, so much is riding on on the casting of Freddie, and it needs to. He was West West Craven was originally looking for somebody who was you know an older person to play the role, and he wanted that. He really wanted to like match that movement of that vagrant that was so etched in his mind. Uh, but Robert, you know, and, and Robert England wasn't the first one cast as as Freddie. Um, no, uh, you, no, he was not. 
What? Who was it? He actually cast uh, David Warner, who's a British actor who you guys probably... I don't know if you'll know his name, but you'd know his face. He's in... He's a character actor. He's in a ton of movies. Um, he was in multiple uh, Star Trek movies. He's in The Omen. He's in uh, Titanic. He's like Billy Zane's like enforcer guy in Titanic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was originally Freddy Krueger, and I think they had shot a few things with him before they realized, or at least did some tests uh, before they realized that there was it was not. I think they had a disagreement between Wes and David about how to play that character and and you know their physical body language. Robert England was you know desperate to play. He was getting typecast as sweet kind of good guy characters. Did, I don't know if you guys remember the miniseries V that oh, I yeah. brought up a few times. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he was in that and plays this kind of you know he's like the good alien and. Uh, was getting typecast in that kind of role and, and really wanted to play a villain. He wanted to show that he could, you know, break out of that mold and, and do something different. And so he was really wanting this part. And, uh, you know, it wasn't originally what Wes was looking for. He was really young looking. Like, if you look at Robert England outside of the Freddy makeup uh, in 1983, 84, you know, he looks really young. <laughs> right. Yeah, he was in his early 30s, I think. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, you throw some burn makeup on him, though, you can't tell. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and, I mean, like, that's the thing. It's so important. Like, this character's so important to the movie. And it's, it, you know, like, Freddy Krueger is so very different than, really, a lot of the, you know, the baddies from the other horror movies. You know, like, where it's just kind of like a body in a mask and doing that. Like, this mm-hmm. character had to be you know, it had to carry the movie in a lot of ways. And like, you know, it, it, it sounds weird, but he had to be kind of charismatic and sinister. And, you know, I mean, the way he right. played it is like, just like twistedly uh, playful. And like, it's just really, he, I mean, he, he does such a really, really uh, great job of just like, of, of delivering like all these nuanced, a little like really psychotic uh, mm-hmm. takes on things you know it's it's uh he he i'm glad that they settled on him because i think you know what 85 90 percent of that was just what he brought to the character yeah well it's a completely like it, it, it you needed a completely different kind of actor than you had playing michael myers or or jason Voorhees. i mean this is a character who has dialogue and is really you know you're seeing their i mean yes it's covered with makeup but you're seeing their facial expressions and hearing the words coming out of their mouth and and that's a totally different element and his robert england's body language he's i don't know he always seems so like malleable to me like he could just he could do anything like he could contort his body and it was perfect for the you know, the different kind of shapes that Freddy would take. Yeah, he's very agile, unlike unlike these other guys who are just meant to be, like, a looming, like, unstoppable force, you know? Like, he's mm-hmm. just much more, you know, like, uh, yeah, like you said, flexible and, and, and you know, just, it's, he, like, has to outwit his prey versus mm-hmm. versus just hunt them down. 
and and he has yeah. you know he he um, he instantly knows he has the upper hand because he can make any kind of uh, terrible thing happen in these nightmares like he's controlling the nightmares yeah I mean he's got your worst fears in in the palm of his hand I mean there's uh, really there's like nothing scarier than that yeah yeah I mean Freddie is it's he's so he, the contrast between Freddie and uh, Jason and Michael Myers is Freddie is truly like a boogeyman like he's just a he is a horrifying figure that has access to where you live, where you sleep, the things you're familiar with, you know, that's because he's going through your dreams. You know, that's, that's what a boogeyman is. It's like, it's like where, wherever you think you could be safe, uh, you know, he's going to exploit it. It's kind of that, that thing. And then he has his own little base of operations, which is a, 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 a boiler room. <laughs> like, could there be anything worse than the school boiler room? Like, <laughs> my God, like I've, uh, I've been in boiler rooms. None of them are nice. None of them are pleasant. Like, holy shit. Like, and he's, this it's is his rule. domain. It's, it's no boiler room is like a, pl- a pleasant place to be. Uh, it's a city. It's a city code that all boiler rooms, school boiler rooms have to look like that. They have to look like total trash murder houses. But it, it's funny that like, that's the thing. Like, you know, you can make a case that like the, the silent killer, the the unknown killer in uh, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, and and Michael Myers are ju- they they're kind of cut from the same cloth in terms of like mm-hmm. the, the the force of nature, as you were saying, Brent, kind of like this unstoppable force. Um, whereas Freddy is very active, very a uh, part of the environment. He's creating the environment in the dreams of these these characters, um, and uh, you know he's not. He's not invincible, you know, like they're in the dream and like they tackle each other and fall down and all that. But obviously he has the upper hand the entire time. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so he's that much more scary where it's like you think you can get away. You think you can like knock him over or at least like struggle with him. But I mean, he's got knives for finger, you know, on his fingertips. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Shit up. Like he is. It's it's. And and he's got that burnt face and that the, the. I think what's key to his performance, and obvi- which is very obvious, is his eyes. You know, his eyes that come through that makeup. Uh, he, there's so much acting going on in the eyeballs <laughs> that uh, Freddie is not someone you want to mess around with. And uh, you know, in this very, this first entry to the whole thing, he's just uh, he's just scary, and there's nothing whimsical or you know uh anything that the audience can relate to is there it's it's he's pretty scary i i think yeah. i feel like well, he's more scary than than his counterparts or his contemporaries yeah so well I mean, th- this is there's a yeah go ahead brent well i was just gonna say like uh, again like they they do such a good job up front in this movie kind of like setting your expectations as a viewer right so like that first kill of tina is is really like it sets the tone for for everything right so like we see we see what's happening in her dream she's being chased Mm -hmm. he's manipulating the situation however he deems uh necessary you know at the same time you're cutting to like nancy sleeping and you see him looming over her which means this dude's able to like terrorize multiple people at the same time so like he's like terrorizing the entire cast 
simultaneously. And then in the in the payoff, like you see that whatever he does to you in your dream has a physical reaction to you in the real world. And like there's an energy mm-hmm. to it. Like not only is he just like cutting her open, but like she is like flying up in the air and like she is like being tossed around by this presence in the real world as well. You know, I mean, it's just like the power that that little sequence right there like shows for him as a as a monster in this movie is like it sets the tone for everything and it's just like it's crazy when you go back and watch it again like all the all the elements that they put in there to establish who this dude is and they they do a great job i mean it's really really well done tina's death is visually so interesting and and like you said sets the tone i mean that she's on the bed bleeding and then just tossed up in the air and spinning and then slammed against the wall. Ooh, what a what a what a physical, visceral kind of uh, moment. But go, you know, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, there's you see it from her point of view, like you're saying, Brent, where where you see Freddie chasing her. You know what's really going on, but then it cuts to to Rod's point of view from the outside, and it's her just floating up the wall and uh, you know up across the ceiling and she's being slashed and torn apart and you know it's such a amazing physical gag that they did i mean they built this rotating set um that was really just one person could literally spin this whole room and it's an incredible gag i mean i don't think there had been any kind of murder scene anything like this up at this up until this point Uh, no i mean there's a a lot of you know i mean this one is great there's a lot of really iconic kind of gags and and kills in this movie obviously but yeah like some of the stuff they did the special effects is really like it's so effective you know like even even that you know in that same scene when they cut to nancy and you see his head come in through uh the wall you know like they just took some some uh spandex or something and stretched it over the wall he pushes his face up against it then he retreats back and then you see nancy wake up and hang the cross back on the thing to to show that the wall is is solid right like it's just you know like it's little things like that that like you know are really really effective and small but like they really help set the tone for everything and i think you know like all of them all all of the little like tricks that they did you know like end up working so well that it you know as a whole this movie like really delivers yeah the the special effects by jim doyle are amazing in this movie and that one you know obviously the rotating room the the leaning through the wall is the one that always got me the most that one that one really like stuck out to me and really affected me but and i for for the longest time i actually thought that was you know early version of not CGI, but some kind of green screen effect. I did not realize uh, that it was actually just just spandex, and that that yeah. it's Jim Doyle just, who's leaning through the wall. It's not Robert England. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I mean, it's practical. You yeah, know, like it's so well done. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you just add the, you add the sound. Oh. Yeah, you add the sound effect of like when she hangs the cross back up, and I think she touches the wall, and you yeah. hear that she like, like knocking knocks, sound. Yeah, she like knocks on the wall, like oh. Yeah. Nothing, nothing to see here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like really the works. the 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 bathtub gag, you know, where she, mm-hmm. Nancy falls asleep in the bathtub, and you see the 
the glove, which we need to talk about the glove in a minute. Yeah, we do. Uh, you know, come just out of the water right between her legs and it's about to reach her before I think her mother knocks. And um, <laughs> just like another that's so scary. Yeah. I mean, all of them, even even when Rod gets hung in the in the in the jail cell, you know, like, I mean, that also mm-hmm. is really well done. Like it's it's, uh, you know, like, again, you see the f- like physical reaction of things in the real world based off what's happening in the dreams, which is, I think, really mm-hmm. cool. And then obviously I think yeah. the most iconic death in, in the whole movie is is uh, Johnny Depp's death with the, you know, just the blood spewing from the bed, you know, like yeah. it's... it's Yeah, like geyser. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's, again, like a really effective special effects, you know, practical spe- special effect. And it's, you know... Probably the one that when you yeah, ask I'm, people about it, like that's the one most people will will remember and and reference when you when you ask him about the movie. Yeah, and he he clearly like based that off of the elevator gag and The Shining, sure. but I think it's just as memorable and effective. I mean, that one, I, I remember seeing that when I was much younger, and that that also you know all of these like really just etched in my memory and and were really really intense. And it's uh, that whole gag is like. What also what got me is when Johnny Depp, so he's on the bed, right? And he's supposed to be staying awake and waiting for Nancy. And of course he falls asleep and he's got the TV on his lap and gets pulled through the bed, but it's him screaming for his mother. That is oh, yeah. just this yeah. layer of reality. Like that's, I don't, people do that. You know, yeah. that, that's this desperation that, that really got to me. And then whatever it is that happens to his physical body and they used, I think, 80 gallons of, of uh, I think it was, was it water with, like, red dye in it? It, was, it wasn't the usual blood yeah, I think material so. like they corn used. Corn syrup or whatever like that? Nothing like that. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, and then, I mean, the, the, you guys hear the story of, like, what, what happened when they shot that scene? No. Uh, no. So, so it was, you know, obviously this was going to be a big gag that everyone wanted to be on set for and, and watch how they did this. And they were using that same rotating room that they had built that uh, Lou Carlucci, the effects, uh, you know, one of the other effects guys had made. Um, and it's this perfectly balanced set. But and Robert England and Heather Langenkamp are like right in the front with and, and Wes Craven and, and the DP Jacques Hadekin are like right inside the set. And as they, you know, they started, they spun it and were rushing the water through it. It became unbalanced. And there's, you see that shot of the water all moving sideways. Yeah. That is because the set started spinning and rotating on itself out of control. Uh. And that's how they, and they just use the footage from it. But all the water, all the, the, the blood dumped on. I mean, it's a serious, it was a serious thing because they could have set the entire stage on fire with all the electrical, you know, cables and stuff that weren't yeah. covered because they didn't plan on it. All the water came dumping on Wes Craven and, and the DP. Oh my and God. everybody, like Robert England tells a story of how him and he just grabbed Heather and they like ran up the fire, you know, fire escape or you know the fire the steps on the on the stage and got out of harm's way but he was like i knew what fear was as well during the making of that movie because <laughs> they thought they thought the whole stage was gonna like go up in flames from oh, the wow. electric you know 
the yeah. electric uh, uh, cables. But. That's that's <laughs> lucky that no one got hurt, man. But that's crazy. They that's were crazy really story. lucky. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it definitely was an effect gone wrong. And but they used the they used the footage in the movie, and it looks great. Yeah, you can see things bleeding to the side, the the water running off to the side, the the, yeah. the sheets moving. So nice, like weird, like anti gravity effect uh, to the thing, like. Yeah, no, you're right. Like it's it's this whole thing where he's just getting sucked down, and then everything that, and he's yeah, calling out to his mom. I mean, what a uh, yeah, you're right. It's like a perfect moment, like very like, and then for teens watching this movie, then like you're you know we're just kids watching that movie, like yeah, you're in your own bed in your own house, and what if something was going wrong? Who who would you call to? Of course, you're gonna yeah. Call and to what your mom. what yeah. what could you do? Like nothing. Like there's yeah. nothing Johnny Depp or Glenn could have done there, yeah. and you don't even know what happens. It's it's also like this. Like what could have possibly happened to him to turn him into that? Yeah, um, yeah it's 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 really fantastic. Another part of the the Freddy Krueger character that we I know we touched on briefly, but the glove, I mean, what in uh, such a like uh, something totally new to the genre. It's not. It's I mean, it's yeah. Of course, it's taking a knife but putting a new spin on it, uh, and such a like. I mean, I remember as a kid growing up, like Freddy's glove was like the scariest thing. Oh yeah, like, man, the best weapon he could have. I had one at Halloween. It was like my prized possession for that Halloween. I was so stoked. <laughs> It was great. Yeah, and it looks, you know, it, it. their intention was to make it look like crude and real and homemade and, you know, like someone put put yeah. it together in a, in a basement or something. It's and, like the beginning uh, of steampunk. It, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and that's right, isn't it? Over the opening credits, too, isn't him making the glove? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great. It's, I like, it's, I feel like it's honestly not too much of a stretch to, to say that it's like probably one of the most iconic uh you know uh horror character weapons there is you know like you show somebody a machete and they'll say oh these guys used it but you show someone a freddy krueger glove they're like yep that's freddy right you know i mean it's it's way way cooler way better way scarier than like just a, a knife machete whatever that you're used to seeing or just any any or a skewer you know anything that like skewer somebody like no, it's just like these are knives on your fingertips. Like he's slashing your shit up. Like scary. Yeah. And combine it with all the rest of it. You know, with the with the his whole look is entirely different, and especially the makeup by David Miller, uh, which apparently they modeled after a pepperoni p- pizza. Yeah. Oh. Which is nailed it. You know, not. Yeah, nailed it and uh, gross. Um, you know, they've got, he's got that melted look, that spotty and splotchy melted look, but you know, you really don't get to see it that well in the first movie. I mean, I guess the right at the end, you get a look at him, but the whole, you know, most of the movie, you really only see him in shadow or see a glimpse or like the way he's lit. You just see, you know, part of his face and part of his head. Uh, and his, he's got that voice effect, so you really don't get a look at him until the second movie. Yeah, they cut around him so well, like just that, like, it, it's like he's in this imposing figure, but he's uh, and he's grotesque. But they're not going to give you everything, like they're not going to scare you because there's no jump scares in a sense with that, with his look. I mean, I mean, but not with his look, um, no. Yeah, but like it's. Uh, 
he's just this disfigured like terrifying kind of creature and uh, and you only get hints throughout that like so it's it's quite a great choice on Wes Craven's part like it serves like what we're going to show you because I am assuming that that makeup job is quite complex <laughs> to to be Oh yeah, off. yeah. 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 Well, it's it's you know less is more and like we talked about way back in our jaws episode it's you know a lot of the horrors in what you what you don't see yeah. and and that's i think part of why freddy morphed out of that you know really character that you're afraid of to that MTV kind of fun more fun character through the sequels is you're just you're seeing everything here you're not and even in the 7th movie like it it does go back to this original kind of style where you don't you know, really, I guess you see him a little better because you're used to it, but the look is different. Well, and I don't yeah. think, I don't think, I don't think they really understood what they had with Freddy Krueger at the first movie, right? Like this, the first right. movie oh, was no, Wes Craven making a, making a horror movie. Uh, and, and, you know, it established Freddy Krueger, but like, it wasn't till the second movie that they, that they fully owned Freddy Krueger as the star of, of, the the franchise right so yeah yeah Yeah. here it's it's this is a movie about about nancy really uh Mm -hmm. with freddie is just the antagonist but you know nancy's a great character i mean where do you where do you guys kind of rank her compared to the other you know jamie lee curtis and and the the heroines from the friday the 13th movies how do you think she ranks compared to those well Um. i think I, I think the greatest compliment there is is that Jamie Lee's Curtis or Jamie Lee Curtis's character uh, evolved into what Nancy is in this movie to do the latest Halloween movie, right? Like she goes, mm-hmm. she creates all these traps. She's just like a badass. Like she's not sitting there. Yeah. She's not sitting there waiting for him to come to her. She's like, I'm gonna go get this dude. I'm gonna bring him out where I can cause damage, and I'm gonna f him up. Like she's a She's yeah, kill, she's kick ass. She goes on the offensive. I mean, she's brave. She doesn't. She's never. I don't think she's ever really afraid of him. She's just more just. I guess you know, surprised, caught off guard, um, and is trying to figure it out. But it never feels like she's actually afraid. She doesn't give in to that. Yeah, well, she screams a lot in this movie. Actually, I mean, she's she's yeah. kind of terrified in the sense of like. Not, but not terrified to the the point of helplessness. So, right, you know, she's not crippled and, by it. Yeah, I mean, you know, scary things are scary, no matter, you know, whether or not you're ready to confront them or not. But, um, yeah, I mean, the th- yeah, she she kind of Kevin McAllister's her house at the end. Like, yeah, she's yeah. like, I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with ways to like mess with him. But she formulated the plan um, with 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 I don't know. 40, 30 minutes left in the movie. Like, I'm going to pull him out of the dreams because she figured it out. Like, she could pull his hat. I mean, so if she can pull him out of the dream, She he's physically vulnerable. Like, she doesn't mm-hmm. want anyone to be terrified. I, she, I mean, I mean, Nancy's way up there. Uh, yeah. I feel like she, I, th- I feel like she doesn't have the gravitas of her contemporaries, but I mean, she's as she's as good as any of any of the other final girls. Yeah, uh, she's super films. intelligent. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's really she's really I don't know, she's I, I think I would put her ahead of a lot of the Friday the thirteenth 
heroines, honestly. I mean, it would, I would put her up there with Jamie Lee Curtis. But, you know, I think that Brent, that was a good point that, like, she's, she's in this first movie, she's already at where Jamie Lee Curtis kind of grows into right. over time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, uh, I, I think, I think she's pretty, pretty legit for sure. I mean, she's super smart. She's, she's, you know, obviously clever. She figures out that she can pull Freddy out. She, you know, like builds this whole trap. I do think she's scared at times. Like that scene where she wakes up in the school, like she's definitely terrified, mm-hmm. you know, but like, I think that yeah, also yeah. begins the, the, the thought process for her. Like, you know, you can see how intelligent she is by, you know, burning her, her arm on the pipe in the boiler room to wake herself up, you know, like, and, mm-hmm. and, and realizing that there's, you know, physical, like a, a physical presence for, for in, in the real world for what she did in, in her dream. And so, uh, or a physical reaction to, to something. And so like, you know, she kind of connects all the dots of just like, you know, I mean, she's, she's, she is, I mean, she's great for sure. She's definitely at the very top. Yeah. Something else I think that was really hard for them to achieve, uh, but they did a great job with was was really getting the tone of a dream. They were really the when when you go from the real world into the dream world, I felt like they really did, you know, they they nailed that dream state of mind where like, you know, in a dream you flow from one place to another without really any kind of logical like you go through a door and it's an entirely different place. It's not like the ne- exactly what the next room really is or would be. Um, you know, and a real kind of hazy kind of, I don't know, just energy that, that it's all kind of a free flowing thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's hard to do. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's a different, the, the dream state is a different vibe than the reality, uh, the, you know, real life in the film and, and. I don't know. It's just it's a it's a hard thing to do to just get that subtle change and really, really get it to work. And I, I think it works really well here. Yeah, yeah. It's something. It, there's you know to create that other worldliness, or at least to to be in a different like state where, you know, things seem real. Like when you're dreaming, the things you're dreaming about seem real. Uh, and even though they don't maybe make sense, uh, they're they're real while you're in it. So it's like this, mm-hmm. you kind of flow through it. I mean, there's uh, there's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode in the, f- I think it's the fourth season finale, where the entire the all the all the characters are having like dreams, and there you see them in their dream worlds, and uh, it's another it's another example of just like how dreams kind of flow from like you were saying from like one setting to another like from characters and things that make sense in the dream wouldn't make sense in reality but but because you're seeing it in the dream that's presented very well like it's a it's pro- to me like that that takes what what goes on in this movie that buffy episode kind of takes it to that next level of like really what it feels like to oh this is my house but it's not my house and these are my friends or my people but they're not my friends or these are these people i haven't talked to in years but they're there and they're part of this and they're weighing in on that you know like that that extra thing but like obviously like you know nightmare on elm street keeps it like very close to the vest in terms of 
the environment that these characters are in and how safe you can feel in like a familiar environment and then you know freddy comes in and just like changes it you know and um mm-hmm. you, now you have to survive and it's interesting like i, I do find like he's called fred krueger for the most part i think he calls himself freddy twice or something mm-hmm. once or, once or twice so he's not even the iconic freddy krueger he's no, more or less no. fred krueger he's fred krueger yeah like, in the movie well uh, and i, I want to I want to talk about how we get to that iconic Freddy Krueger, but but before that, I want let's I want to just finish up talking about this particular movie. What do you um? How do you guys feel about the ending? And there's a couple of different versions of it. I don't know if you guys have seen all the uh, the alternate endings. Um, I I, I, I think I've only I've, I think I've only seen probably the theatrical ending where. She, everyone is trapped in the car, and her mom is there mm-hmm. watching. And you know, it's clearly Freddy's car. It's clearly a dream state, and it ends up this terrifying thing. That's that's really all, all I've ever seen. I hate that as an ending. Um, I get it. <laughs> I get. I get the idea of it. But uh, if this thing was a, a one-off singular thing, kind of works. It's fine. But knowing that, I don't know. I wanted I want Nancy to win or at least survive and maybe save her friends or save her mom or whatever. Um, it's kind of a disappointing ending for me, but I don't I don't know what happens in part two. I've never I've never seen it. Part three, I don't oh. know. <laughs> part two, three, four, five, seven, eight, I don't know. So that's where I'm Brent at. what do you what do you think about the ending, Brent? How does it sit with you? Uh, I don't like it very much. I mean, I think it's it's unnecessary. Like uh, you, you're talking like the the bookend part of it, where where yeah, mom, like mom gets pulled through the the door window and they drive off in the Freddy convertible. Like I think it's yeah, it's, and Freddy's Freddy's essentially got them. Yeah, I think it's unnecessary and really disappointing. Actually, like I think. I, I think it's probably the biggest flaw of the movie is or the, the weakest part of the movie that they did that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I agree. I mean, I, it didn't bother me for a long time. Now when I watch it, it's, it's tough. It's, it doesn't really make sense with the rest of the movie because we're it just like suddenly like, how is she, you know, is, is it a dream? Is it a dream? Is it reality? It's, it's, I mean, I think it's intended to be more questions than answers. Right. Um, you know, but there was such clear lines and you're really, you're rooting for her so much to win and she does. And then suddenly it's like the rugs pulled out from under you yeah, and then it's over. It like, undermines oh, everything. All of her, yeah, like oh, all of the friends are alive again. The mother's alive again, and uh, you know it's your happy ending. But then wait, it's not. And was it, is any of this real? It's I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't. That part doesn't age as well. It doesn't really take away from the movie as a whole for me. But um, yeah, I don't know. Just I'm not a huge fan of it either. Yeah, yeah. I'd be I'd be fine just watching all of them. I, like I don't. I, for me, the part that I don't like is the whole, like, if everybody was alive again and they drove off to go to school, I'd be okay. It's it's the mom getting pulled through the window. It's the convertible top closing, and it's Freddy. Like, it, it muddies everything up. Like, if, if everybody was just alive, like, I could make a connection that, oh, if you kill the, the demon, 
then the souls the demon took come back you know like okay cool i'm down i'm down with that but if you muddy it all up now i don't even know what happened like what what did we just watch like what what, right what was resolved like nothing like we're i don't i'm more confused now than i ever was in the whole movie well and and there's variations of it so the alternate endings are all all variations of the same thing so there's the theatrical one where they're you know, taken by Freddy in the car, <clears throat> and then the mother is pulled through the window. There's another version where they do just drive off, and they're fine, and then the mother still gets pulled through the window. And then there's a third version where they drive off, they're fine, and then we just watch the mother who's watching them, and then it just pans over to the kids playing jump rope in slow motion. See, I would have liked so that So it's all similar... Yeah, I think I think I would have gone with that, and because it, it still ends on the Freddy song and yeah, the, and the with slow the creepy ass rope. kids with that damn song. That's, yeah, we haven't even talked about that. That song is the thing <laughs> nightmares are made out of, man. Like I I used to recite that to terrorize my my brother for sure. <laughs> oh, your I, poor brother. Yeah, I, I know, like the I like jerk. that Freddy song because I like that that whole thing of like it really establishes this like localized urban legend kind of thing. Like that, (laughs) you know, Freddie is this terrifying guy. He's going to come and get you. And there's a song and everyone sings about it. And when we first hear it, the, you know, our heroes are going to school, you know, it's the day after the nightmares and they're going to school, but like you, you, you focus on those kids. They're doing the jump rope. They're doing that thing. You swing over to the high schoolers and you don't see those little girls creepily singing that song anymore. So it's almost like a dream state established then. Like right. you could almost make a right. case that everything you're watching from that moment to the end of the movie is a complete dream and Nancy was never in control, which is like a terrible read of the whole movie. Like it's a, it's a pointless mm-hmm. read of the the whole film. Um but you know those girls in those white dresses and the jump ropes, you could almost assume those are the dead children from Freddy's original, like terrorizing, right, right, and killing. Yeah. So, um, I feel like there's like that was purposely done as a, you know, for visual reference and and a thing, keeping it all otherworldly, um, you know, uh, outside of reality or at least you know ghostly, um, and then that's that's why we see them at the end of the movie. So. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which I, yeah, I don't like the idea of like we're watching all these people and then suddenly it's like, well, it was just a dream or like no, Freddy was always in control or and like oh great, well that's I just wasted all this time with all this shit. Yeah, like, I don't care. Like <laughs> if the, if nothing matters, then why why did any of it matter? <laughs> like I, that's mm-hmm. the real terror. No, I don't care. Like fine, yeah, that's that is terrible, I guess. But it wasn't that kind of read on it isn't for me. So. I'd like to think that I don't know what happens in part two, three, four, when, whenever we see Nancy again, but I'm assuming the ending of the first movie isn't, isn't canon in the sense of, of things, or I, I have no idea. No, yeah, well, that's the thing is, uh, you know, I guess let's talk about the sequels, then we'll hit the box office up, but, uh, you know, the, the movie does very well. Actually, let's switch that. Let's talk about box office first, which will lead into why we we're getting into the sequels and why it goes the direction that it does go. B.O. Um, yeah, B.O. Uh, movie comes out on November 9th, 1984. It uh, actually the first weekend it didn't it didn't have a 
I mean, it did well. It had a $1.2 million opening weekend. It was up against the mighty Oh God, You Devil. Remember oh, that George oh, Burns wow. classic? Yeah, the sequel. Georgie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's like of the four of the four new movies opening that weekend. It, this was the fourth, and it came in. It opened at number ten that weekend. Um, wow. It ended up, but week two is where it really started to pick up. So it was clearly a word of mouth movie that was gaining steam as it went. Uh, week two is its biggest week. Um, it had uh, it ends up with a twenty five million dollar domestic run, fifty seven million dollars worldwide. Um, big, you know, big impact, especially once it hits video as well. Uh, so, you know, it's definitely like we said, the shot in the arm that the horror world needed. So, very quickly, New Line uh, wants to get right into the second movie, but Wes Craven. You know, he didn't see this thing as a franchise. He saw it as one story, and this was the story he wanted to tell. So he starts to, you know, step back and move into a, a producerial role while, you know, and this was huge for his career. This is what he needed as well. So he was, you know, starting to do, he, he went off to do his own movies and kind of let go of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise for the most part, all the way until the seventh movie. Because uh, I think he went and did was Serpent and the Rainbow next after this. He may have done another one in between. Uh, I think uh, Serpent. I think Serpent was next, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. So, but I mean, all through his career, at least up until the Scream, he was really planning his. He wasn't into franchises. He wasn't into going back to the same idea over and over and over. Whereas New Line. I mean, New Line was known as the house that Freddy built. And, you know, this movie was really the one that put them on the map. And uh, so they were going to go, they were going to do exactly what the other studios had done with, with Halloween and Friday the 13th, was just try and bleed this thing dry as much as they could. That's, that's the way of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the second movie does not, you know, there's a mention of Nancy and it takes place, a new family has moved into to the house where uh, she lived in, in the first movie. So it's the same set, but a new family. And there's a whole different undertone with the second movie. Uh, it's about a, you know, a teenage boy instead of a girl. It's um, got a lot of... Uh, identity crisis and uh, homosexual undertones. And Freddy is able to come back but you know come through this boy's body and it's a whole nother movie that we would we can get into uh we will get into <laughs> yeah i mean um, it's, it's, pretty yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty strange yeah it's a real it's i mean there's good gags in it but you know they start to realize like freddy we need to market around freddy and you know freddy's right. face is on the poster it's called freddy's revenge um, you know, he's in the movie a lot more. Uh, and this is what I think 85 when part two came out and part three is, is I think the biggest one. And you do get Nancy Thompson and her dad back in, in the third movie. Um, and, but you know, the dream war, then you get into this dream world that is created and, and, you know, other Elm street kids who are going through these, um, 
you know, psychological issues and how they're all fighting Freddy and it becomes kind of a team up team up and three, four and five are like a trilogy, right, Brent? Yes, they are. Absolutely. The the dream huh. trilogy. Yeah. I actually oh, love what, and what part I, three is dream dream warriors. Four is yeah, what? Yeah, dream. four is Dream Master, and then part five is uh what was it, Dream Child? Dream, dream yeah. Child, something like that. And and by this point, especially like eighty seven to eighty nine, you know, that's where Freddie is everywhere. He's all over the media, he's hosting his own show, he's all over MTV, like introducing music videos and at the I can't remember, did they have the MTV movie awards or maybe the music video awards back then? Um, but yeah, he's kind of everywhere and, and a huge pop culture icon, more so than than Jason Voorhees or well, Michael Myers really wasn't, but yeah. um, I mean, Chucky or anybody like that. Yeah, what was the TV show? Freddy's Nightmare or something like that. Like the, yeah, Freddy's Nightmares. Yeah, that was great. That was better. I I think that one was better than the than the Friday Thirteenth uh, uh, TV yeah. show. But but, but Freddie becomes the focal point of the movies, really, and you're kind of rooting for the main character in each of the sequels, but not really. The rest of the characters you could care less about, and it's much more about the really creative ways that Freddie is going to kill everybody yeah. and the, his one-liners. It's all about his dialogue and his, oh, yeah. what, what witty joke is he going to say here. I mean, three, three and four, I, I'm having a hard time recalling Dream Child, but three and four to me are the two of the of the franchise that i've probably seen the most just like Mm -hmm. as a kid and when they came out my access to them you know at that point like my parents had kind of given up on trying to prevent me from seeing these movies so they just like yeah owned it and i was like right on and i probably watched three and four over and over again uh yep you know one summer just like back to back constantly and the his i mean it is those are really the two where uh i mean he really becomes that iconic uh recognizable pop culture uh character you know mm-hmm. like that's where that's where i mean obviously it's established in the other movies but it's uh you know i think that's all when it hit the was in the was in the nightmare wheelhouse yeah and five is where it really goes off the rails and they get, he's trying to come back through this this our main character is pregnant and he's trying to come back through this baby and you get way more of Freddie's backstory. And it's like the deeper you get, the worse you get five really has aged poorly. And then six where they try to kill him off is, uh, you know, just, it's nothing like the other movies. It's, uh, it, you know, it, it's really self-referential. You do get a Johnny Depp cameo, <laughs> which is kind of cool, but oh, neat. <laughs> Um, is, and then six, it comes full is six circle the 3D with the one? is six the one they tried to do yes. in 3D? Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Fi- Freddy's final, dead, the final, final nightmare. nightmare. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then it comes full circle with the seventh movie when Wes Craven does come back to the franchise and it's even more self-referential. It's about you know, Wes Craven plays Wes Craven, Heather Langenkamp plays Heather Langenkamp, Robert England is himself and it's about how Freddy as Wes Craven's writing the new movie, it's actually bringing Freddy to life out of his imagination and into the real world. And uh, it's actually really fascinating. It's 
and and it's new nightmare is what really paves the way for scream yes absolutely and uh so it'll be fun to it'll be fun (laughs) to like look at each of these on their own scream which you know i am a fan of Oh, big, yeah, big fan. I remember (laughs) when Scream 2 came out, someone was very, very excited about it. (laughs) Me? Yeah, I was super stoked, for sure. Scream's really really good. I like Scream a lot. Scream 2. Scream's great, yeah. Yeah, the second, the second, third, and fourth ones uh, in, on second viewings, especially now, I'm probably, uh, I'm not going out on a limb here, but don't hold up as well, but the first Scream movie is is legit. I mean, not that we're here to talk oh, it's about Scream, fantastic. but it's like it it yeah. it's another one that revitalized the horror genre. So, I mean, Wes yep. Craven's doing Absolutely. this doing this. That's what that's his whole career is based around keeping that horror genre fresh. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it started with New Nightmare where you're talking about the movie. Right. And then in Scream, he kind of perfected it that you know, you're talking about the genre as a whole and all the tropes and and all all the things that the characters do and how you wouldn't do that in a horror movie, but you're watching this horror movie where yeah. it's happening. Yeah, um, it, it's really genius. And um, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of two, three. I was more into, but I need to watch the sequels again. I don't think I ever saw four. I like four yeah, a lot, but four. but I don't. Again, I I think four like is a product of its time and you know i think probably mm-hmm. going back and rewatching it which i'm sure we'll do through a, through the course of 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 the years while we're doing this podcast i i'm not sure how well it'll hold up it's definitely super nostalgic for me though like three and four for yeah. sure yeah 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 well we've got you locked but, in on a 50-year contract at the Voorhees institute so i know yeah yep. we're definitely going to be hitting these things yeah i'm a lifer <laughs> i'm a lifer uh, yeah, yeah. There's, no, you, there's no getting out of this, right? <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, just going back to the first movie, um, clearly it had a major impact, and and it was after this that you know the, the the horror genre wasn't just about slashers. You would get Hellraisers and you know Child's Play and and movies that would have this mysticism, this element of. Uh, you know, all not alternate realities, but different levels of reality and playing all together, and and things would change after it. And and and, uh, but how do you think? You know, you think it all still works today when you watch it? When you watched it this time, how did it? Uh, how did it hold up now? Um, you know, I n- never seen. I mean, I've seen definitely bits of, bits of this before. You know, like I said. I watched it with you, John, a few years ago for the first time, like start to finish. But um, honestly, I feel like this kind of works. This still maintains. This is still something that you can kind of put look to and say, like, this is this is uh, indicative of the of the entire genre of the 80s and all of that. It kind of I feel like it perfects it like. Yeah, I th- there's a difference between the three big, you know, horror movies of the of the time with Halloween and Night and Nightmare and Friday the Thirteenth. This one, this I think is probably the perfection of it, and it had the benefit of time, money, and the creativity of Wes Craven to kind of make it that so that that way. Mm-hmm. That that's how I see it. But I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know where the two of you come down on that. 
Yeah, I think a lot of what you I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think I think um, I think there are a couple things in this movie that are a little little dated, and I'm not a huge fan of of like in rewatching it. Like some of the adult performances, I think are actually not very strong. Uh, some of the effects are, you know, like we mentioned, the the arms growing uh, doesn't hold up very well. I think the tongue coming out of the phone is a little mm-hmm. cheesy nowadays but but um but for the most part i think this movie is still really really uh solid like i mean i, I it's timeless almost as far as i'm concerned when it comes to like horror movies and 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 films in the genre like it's just really uh it's i i think it's really strong yeah, I think uh, it, it serves. I, I think I agree that it, it absolutely holds up now. Uh, it serves a couple of purposes. It's obviously a great look at the '80s, but conceptually, it's so strong. I think that's kind of timeless. That you know that that you know that fear. Like, what if this were to happen today? That can apply at at any time. It's what makes Halloween work. It makes this work as well. But yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I think I'm going to, just for the hell of it, I'm just going to fire up, uh, I'm going to do a marathon right now over in uh, screening room 12 uh, where we're going to just roll through all the rest of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies the rest of the uh, the night tonight. All right, well, I, I wish oh. you luck on that. I'm going to go get some brunch, some <laughs> breakfast. I'm going to get some eggs and waffles. Um but where are we if we're gonna Jack Burton this thirteen Jack Burtons? Uh, where where do all three of us come down? Uh, if you're gonna rate this uh, for life, how many Jack Burtons? Uh, do you I would give it. I'm gonna give it out of thirteen Jack Burtons. I'm gonna give it a an eleven. Holy shit! Eleven. Yeah, I I think it's Whoa. really strong. I mean. <laughs> I think it's really strong. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of effects things that haven't aged, but there's some of the other effects still work effects. amazing. So, <laughs> well, okay, um, yeah. and I think the concept, uh, <laughs> you know, was so it's truly scary. I think it, it works. I, I I'm gonna rank it pretty high. Wow! All right, eleven out of thirteen Jack Burtons. Like this is wow, that's exciting. Brent, where are you? Where where would you put it at thirteen Jack Burtons? Where would you go? I mean, like thinking about it in context with the other movies uh of of you know that are kind of as memorable in in the horror genre like i i'd put it up at the very top like i i don't believe in perfection i've mentioned that before in in some of these rankings so 13 is not something that i'll probably ever hit but i think it's high i mean i'm i'm probably right around where john is i'll probably give it Oh I'm gonna give it a god. I'm gonna I'm give it a ten point a ten point seven, ten point seven. Oh, okay. All right. all right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we we covered we covered Halloween and we covered Friday the Thirteenth before we had the Jack Burton system. But for me, this is a this is a hard, solid eight eight and a half. Like this is this is this is this is up there for me because well, those other horror- two. On the Definitely horror bell curve, <laughs> yeah, on the horror bell curve, because because you know, like you're not you're not the biggest fan of the horror genre. I would I'd say oh. I'd say an eight is a solid no. solid score from you. 
Yeah, oh, yeah, I agree. I think this is, this I was expecting you number. to say like five. No, this is a, this is a huge number. Like, this, but like that's the thing. I mean, and I think I mentioned this on one of our other horror-ish episodes, where you know my perception of the three big genres was like, you know, uh, Freddy was Freddy, and Nightmare on Elm Street was the most accessible, most popular, biggest kind of franchise. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, or excuse me, uh, Friday the Thirteenth is sort of the uh, the little cousin or the uh, the copycat of things, and then Halloween is sort of the best of the best, you know, like in terms of storyline. But that's the mm-hmm. perception of it all. But I'll be honest with you, entertainment value. Oh my God, I'll take this over both of those idiot movies. Like, <laughs> oh, this is this is great. Like, this... I'm not gonna watch Halloween again. I'll watch this anytime. What do you? Whenever you want. Like, no problem. Like, this is. Great. I think popularity-wise, the Nightmare franchise ranks above the others. I mean, yeah. they're they're not the most respected, but. I think they were the most watched out of the three. Yeah, yeah they definitely. I would, I would have to assume so. Well, they definitely like we've talked about it several times, but I, I definitely feel like Freddy Krueger and the Nightmare movies certainly uh, infiltrated the pop culture uh, uh, masses. You know, much mm-hmm. much more so than than the others. I mean, obviously the others yeah. did as well, but not to the extent that yeah. that this franchise did. Nowhere near. I don't. Right. Think. Yeah. 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 So, for, so for me, I'm ranking. I'm ranking Nightmare on Elm Street. Then I'm ranking Halloween. Then I'm ranking Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, that's that's it. Like Friday the Thirteenth, based on the very first movie of all three of them. That that's my ranking. How how things go mm-hmm. in terms of enjoyability, rewatchability, uh, entertainment value, all that shit. So that that's me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, who you know. Only the, first, right. only the first entry of each seat. But the thing is, Nightmare on Elm Street has the benefit of four years of other slasher movies beyond those. You know, like mm-hmm. it's it's it, it gets to perfect it. It gets or at least it gets to improve upon it and do something different beyond what was already capable. You know, you weren't having sure. revolving sets on uh, Friday the 13th or Halloween. You weren't going to do some crazy shit like that. So, yeah. you know, that that it shouldn't be detracted from them, but I do think it elevates uh, what we have now. So, yeah. 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 That's where I'm at. Yeah. Entertain well, that's me good. I mean, I'm in. It's uh, it's on Mount Rushmore for a reason, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. absolutely. <clears throat> um, and I'm surprised that, you know, I, I would fully expect to see another remake of it at some point. Uh, obviously, we've lost Wes Craven, so uh, it would have to be from someone else. But I, I think at some point, with especially the popularity of of Halloween coming back and doing so well, and as soon as Friday the 13th can get out of this lawsuit thing, I think you'll see that coming back. And Nightmare has to be... You know, even now, like they've earlier this year announced uh, Hellraiser's coming back. And um, there's I, I, it's just a matter of time till we see it again. And I know Robert England wants to wants to play Freddy again. And, you know, with being how much makeup he's under, I'm sure I, I would buy it. I think he could get away with doing it again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Absolutely. you know, it's 
I think it's obvious that he brings so much to the to that character and to these movies. I mean, they they had the remake that they made in was it 2010? 10 ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, with and, Jackie Earl Haley. Yeah, and I mean, and I'm you know like I'm not a I'm not a Jackie Earl Haley hater, but like, dude, he doesn't hold a candle to to what Robert England did with the character. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, and they're, you know, they're different movies. Like he's playing the character completely different, which he is the right thing to do, but it's just not as, yeah. it's not as fun a movie to watch, you know? So, well, it, and it's, it's the only franchise where, you know, I think it's the only franchise where, where, you know, Robert England is Freddy Krueger. Jason and Michael Myers were played by different actors over all the, you know, the whole course of the franchise. And it's a different look each movie with, with uh, Nightmare. It's, it's Robert England, so it's yeah. it's hard to take that away and change that. Even James Bond, you can change, but you can't change Freddy Krueger. Yeah, apparently no. not. I mean, I never have. Both of you seen that remake with Jackie O'Hurley, or just? Yeah, I've seen just, it. I've seen. Uh, yeah, I saw it. I, I don't like. I don't remember it that well, and that I think says a lot. <laughs> um, but- but I think, like, on a on a very, like, just a, a reaction level, like, okay, we're going to reboot it. Like, who's going to play Freddy? Like, Jackie O'Haley. I'm like, oh, Jackie O'Haley. That's that's actually kind of perfect. Like, to me, that yeah. sounds like a great casting for a, you know, a new generation. I mean, Jackie O'Haley's, like, probably, what, in his four, 40s or 50s at that point when he's doing it. But Yeah, um, at that point, yeah. Yeah, I mean, with 2010, but still, like, you know, that that sort of creep factor that he could probably do. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I'm kind of intrigued. A lot of it was filmed in Chicago and Indiana. Um, I know people that worked on that movie. Um, the prop master had, I showed me. I've seen. I've seen the new gloves. You know, the new, the new, mm-hmm. the new knives and stuff. It's kind of intriguing. Like, okay, cool. Like, there's a lot of lot of crew from that movie, but I have no idea if it's any good. It's probably garbage. I mean. <laughs> they didn't make anymore and no one saw it so <laughs> well david we're gonna have to make you we're gonna have to make you watch that so yeah, uh i'll see it you're I gonna it's fine security is gonna escort you to theater 12 and we're gonna have a nightmare on elm street marathon including the the new one so all right i'm in i'll, I'll do yeah. it i don't give a shit like that, <laughs> I'll that bring sounds the popcorn. fun like, let's go I'll, I'll watch a Freddy movie before I watch another goddamn Michael Myers movie. <laughs> God. Well, speaking of that, guess what's around the corner, oh, my friend? No, <laughs> it's that time of year. Uh oh, kill me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well. But uh, <laughs> all right. Well, you know, I think uh, we've reconcinemized uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. We've uh, it's it, we we feel like it holds up. You should check it out if you haven't seen it in a while. Give it another shot. It is uh, it's a great. It's a fun. Le- <laughs> Yeah, fun, I guess you could say. Uh, late night movie. Uh, best yeah. time to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and Halloween's coming up. So, uh, you know, stay tuned. We've got another another episode coming your way. Uh, stay tuned. And uh, always you can check us out on our social media, uh, Reconsidimation Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, you, where you can give us a rating and review. It always helps the show. Uh, and there's always www.reconsidimation.com. We've got a lot of horror movies. If you're into that sort of thing this time of year, like so many people are, you can check out our archives. We've got plenty in there. 
And uh, this was a, a fun time, guys. I'm looking forward to uh, getting back together for our next one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you guys, always good to hang out, talk movies. Thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah, yeah glad, <laughs> glad you're here, bro. Glad, uh, every time the, the Voorhees Institute can let you out, uh, if your research lets you talk with us, with the fans, it's the best time. So, yeah, we're breaking we're breaking down walls. This is this is good stuff. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, so uh, keep doing it. Yeah, let's do it again. We'll uh, stay tuned, guys, and we'll see you next time on Reconsinimation. Bye now. This is me by myself waiting for the phone call. Johnny, are you editing this? Are you editing this? Are you editing this? Are you editing this? Oh, that's you. Hello.